While suicide is obviously a difficult topic to talk about, last week's conversation with Scott Smith really did leave me inspired thinking about how we could truly reduce the number. Today we pick up the conversation on guns and their role in suicide. And again, I think you'll find Scott's perspective very fascinating and leaving with a lot of hope. So Scott, welcome back to The Third Place. We welcome you to explore The Third Place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. It's interesting, too, when you think about like guns as so much now a part of our culture is really hard to think about removing them, you know, and, and guns with the current rates of just gun violence that are going on in the country. Like the you see all the numbers of the staggering amount of guns and access to guns in the U.S. How do we address then like removing that from access from someone that is at this just not great moment in time with their life? Yeah, I mean, it's it's challenging. And, and I would even like we could back up too just to frame the issue of guns and gun deaths in America. I mean, a huge percentage of gun deaths in America are actually suicides. So I don't know the exact figure, but it's over 20,000 above 25,000. I think people die by suicide from firearms every year in America. And so oftentimes the debate looks at mass shootings or, you know, some of these events, which tragic, like any death is completely tragic. Any premature death, completely tragic. I don't want to take away from that. And if we're looking at it from a public health approach, and if we want to get into a policy approach, I think we should look at kind of the most amount of numbers and where the greatest, you know, threat really happens and where that occurs and where the most people are actually dying. And that's really suicide. You know, I, I think so far this year in 2021, I want to say it's 300 and something people have died by like, quote unquote, mass shootings in America. And that's horrible and tragic. And but so many more have died by suicide from firearms since then. So many more. And yet the conversation always gets kind of steered towards what can we do around mass shootings or, you know, these quote unquote assault style weapons and which again is important. And I think it's a polarizing discussion that doesn't have a solution. It's kind of like this dichotomous approach and way to thinking, whereas I think there's actually a lot of middle ground. And especially if we look at the areas where most people are dying, I think that most of us can come around together to a common solution. And I believe that most people want to prevent and reduce the amount of firearm deaths that are unintentional or by suicide. And I think that we all want to reduce the amount of people that die through tragic means that maybe didn't want to or didn't have to. So I think we can all come together on a solution like that. And unfortunately, I think getting into the Second Amendment debate and some of these polarizing things of making guns illegal or legal really takes us away from coming up with a pragmatic solution that honestly all sides agree upon. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it goes back to that, um, you know, if you if you swing to the extreme, that's never going to be bought in on uh, by the all. And especially that, you know, it's really built into the fabric of being American, like what you said, too. Right. So if that's the case, and then also we've led up to the fact that intervention of the means is a powerful way to disrupt suicide. What are some ways that we could do that with guns, in your opinion, anything that you've theorized. Great. And thanks for throwing in there the caveat of my opinion. Um, <laughs> I like it. Gives me a little bit of safety, a little bit of wiggle room. So you don't um, have to. <laughs> right, right, right. Or yeah, it's just a theory of mine. This is crazy Scott's theory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Hey, you yeah. said it, not me. Yeah. Gives me a little more wiggle room than, than I give Gladwell. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll critique you since you critique him. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so I, I think one of those two, like, again, I don't think making guns illegal, um, is, is the right approach, nor do I think it's realistic. And so I think it's kind of a waste of time to put all that energy into that style of debate. And if we look at all the examples of where the lethality of something was reduced through technological innovation. So the Golden Gate Bridge, they eventually put up a safety net only a couple of years ago. I think it was like, 2018 or finished in 2019. So just a simple safety net, right? This isn't like anything wild. They didn't make it illegal to walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. You can't do that. So, and they didn't make cars illegal in America. You can't do that. Um, and they didn't make, you know, town gas illegal, heating your house. You can't do that. Or driving across bridges or walking on bridges. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't make this illegal. Um, but what they did do is have some technological innovation. And I don't have one specific answer because you know I'm I'm a social worker I'm a social scientist I'm you know this you know kind of the the dreamer so to speak but there's a lot of technological folks who do have solutions and I'm sure that we can come up with some sort of say bluetooth safe um that if someone was feeling suicidal they could let their safety person know or their therapist know that safe could be locked remotely that's one option um a lot of people who die by suicide are who use a firearm for adult age males, recently gone through a divorce, under the influence of alcohol, and they pick up a firearm and they use that to kill themselves. And it's a really lethal means. So perhaps there's something else too that can measure blood alcohol level in someone's palm when they grab a firearm. And I also understand if someone doesn't want to give up access to their firearms, completely understand that using the metaphor of a car, right? I love cars. I don't want to give up access to my cars. But what if we can reduce the lethality like we did with catalytic converters. So what if we can find some sort of safe storage for people's ammunition for those firearms so they can still have possession of those? There's a couple groups out there um, that are kind of neutral groups, not law enforcement. I believe one of them is called Hold My Guns that also will temporarily hold someone's guns in a gun safe for free. That's an option. Something that we're working with, it's part of the Colorado National Collaborative and the State Office of Suicide Prevention. We offer free gun locks. We offer medication safes. We're actually just about to buy a bunch of gun safes and give those out for free. So I think safe storage is something that we can really talk about. And recently in Colorado, they just passed legislation um, that was kind of punitive that if someone doesn't keep their guns safely secured or locked up, then those firearms get stolen or used in a crime, that person can be fined. And so they're kind of using the stick approach. And ironically, this was a heavily Democratic sponsored bill. And uh, I think most Democratic sponsored bills understand that the carrot method and 
uh, is much more effective than the stick method. So what I think would have been more effective is to provide free gun safes for anyone under a certain income level, or perhaps just free gun safes for everyone. Um, they're expensive. But I mean, there's also nothing stopping us from, like I said, like having some sort of internet connected safe, um, Bluetooth connected safe, some sort of other technology around not having a firearm being able to be used with alcohol, um, keeping your ammunition separate. I think there's all sorts of solutions that we can talk about through dialogue and rhetoric if we're open to having these conversations that are more pragmatic and more in the middle way and more kind of in this Rogerian approach to problem solving and this dialectical approach to problem solving as opposed to this dichotomous way of thinking of the back and the forth that never comes up with a solution. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And again, part of the third place, the yes and concept is how do we talk about this more plainly and and really setting kind of that emotion aside of why it's so hot to talk about. But when we can do that, then all of a sudden, like, you know, just you rattling off like your opinions about what could work it has my brain just thinking like, yeah, what else can we do? Like, and, and it created the safety around practical solutions to just to even work towards that, I think is, would be a huge, huge benefit to, to helping get to that net zero, you know? So, you know, maybe a kind of a final question is as a social worker, what tools could you teach us to maybe host better conversations with those people around us? Or how do we, how do we engage more in those kinds of conversations? How do we lead those kinds of conversations is, Hey, I want to really talk about this and, and I don't want to be political. I don't want to be dualistic in the thinking, but I really want to talk about something that's really hard, like suicide. What advice do you have for that kind of person? Yeah, I mean, I would say lean into it, you know, and I think leaning into those difficult conversations can always be beneficial. And I think they're also fruitful and some great, great results come out of that usually. Um, and I think so just challenging ourselves to do that and also coming from a place of curiosity oftentimes takes that charge out of it and also just being willing to listen to someone's story. So if we listen to someone's story, I think we're a lot more likely to have empathy and understanding. And I think we're also a lot more likely to find common ground. You know, we're, we're a lot more common and we share a lot more things together as a society than, than the common political model or media landscape might would like to have us believe. You know, I think we're actually much more nuanced in our thinking, right? So I, I'm a social worker traditionally and I vote democratic. You know, I, I believe in those things. I'm pretty progressive and liberal in certain areas and, and at the same time, like I, I think I respect the Second Amendment. And I think if someone wants to own whatever firearm they want to own, I think that's okay. I just think that they should also be a responsible gun owner, like most firearm owners are. And they should have safe storage. If they have kids in the house, they should keep their guns locked up, keep their ammunition separate. And to be honest, that is the majority of firearm owners in this country. And I think if we're open about our own stories and our own opinions, and we let folks know that. And then we're also open to hearing other people's stories and like where they come from. I think a common ground is going to be a little bit more easily reached. Yeah, I think that you started with saying, like, I think that we can all agree that we would like less loss from tragedy to do with guns, right? And that that 
to me is one of the most powerful and simple ways to start a conversation where, you know, when we started these conversations on suicide, like I felt a sense of helplessness. And then when we got into more of your like brainstorming side and it really made me feel hopeful that it felt like I could, oh yeah, it's yes. And, and then like what David said, suddenly it's like, I'm churning in my mind and what else could we do? And, and then it's not like stripping any one person of something. It's not about taking something away. It's about working with something and actually adding things that are of value. Um, I think it's easier to add than it is to take away on many times. So I just really appreciate the way that you embody that through this whole conversation and that I actually have felt an actual shift in myself being like, I want to be able to, I don't have any, you know, close personal relationships, though, just like David have generational suicide in my family. And I want to be able to make an impact and truly to imagine zero. So I just am really grateful to have had you come on board today and and talk with us and break down some of the historical aspects of it, which I find so fascinating, but also just this really practical potential prevention approach as well. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that and having me on. And I mean, Mary, you kind of highlighted it too there and, you know, that beautiful kind of summer. You made me seem so much more elegant and skilled and impactful than I am. But I think <laughs> you, you did you did highlight that, you know, there is is this middle ground. And I truly believe that there's so many areas of middle ground that people agree upon. And I truly believe that the vast majority of people want to reduce the amount of people that die by suicide and reduce the amount of unintentional deaths by firearm. I think we can all agree about that, right? It's this Carl Rogers kind of approach to understanding dialogue and argument. And I fully wholeheartedly believe in that. And I think that discourse is the type of discourse that's going to move us forward together, move us forward as a country, and hopefully propose some solutions. And even if it doesn't come up with the solution, I promise it's a lot more pragmatic and going to be a lot more successful in our style of discourse that we're having now on a national level. Well, and, you know, to the whole point, we might not find the solution, but let's find a solution and make the number better. And then let's find the next solution to make the number better. So it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's probably going to be uh, many, many solutions that get us to that zero. So I don't even know if the solution exists. Well, this, yeah, just fantastic. And thank you so much, not only for being a guest on the Third Place Podcast, but you truly have been living it for quite a long time. And I think that this just uh, is an amazing example of what happens when you can live in the third place on something that's really hard to talk about. Where can guests find more about you and your work? Yeah, so um, we do have a website. It's allianceforsuicideprevention.org. Folks can also find information on the Colorado National Collaborative, which is really cool. You can just Google that. Um, Additionally, I just think some important resources that people can have they're always important to have um, in your phone. I recommend having the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number saved in your cell phone. If you do come across someone that might be experiencing, you know, suicidality, or if you're worried about someone who might be showing some of those warning signs, it's a great thing to be like, hey, would you mind if we call the suicide hotline number together? Uh, that number is 1-800-273-8255. So that's a good resource that I think everyone can have handy. Yeah. And then just, you know, look on our website. Um, and I really enjoyed speaking with y'all and happy to come on again any other time. 
So being that it's also September, can you touch on the fact that it's National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month? And is there anything in specific that's going on this month that people could tap into or what that means really even? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it looks different in different communities, but I think September is really the month when all the suicide prevention organizations and all the mental health promotion organizations come out and try to hold as many awareness events as possible. And I think one thing that I would implore every individual and all communities to do is go attend some sort of suicide prevention training. There's a lot of different ones out there, and I think they're all good. Um, QPR is a common one. Assist is another a common one. Uh, mental health first aid is kind of a general one, but it touches on suicide. So there's all these trainings um, that are available, and usually they're available for free in most communities across the country. And I would encourage people to attend one of those uh, if you're part of a church club or your workplace or a social club or whatever it is. Try to get your friends to go to one of these trainings because that's really something that we can all do to prevent and reduce the number of suicides. I mean, it, it really is a community problem like I was talking about. It's not just an individual problem. Um, so it can't be addressed individually, right? We can't just address it on the treatment side as a therapist or a social worker. We really have to address it as a community. Much like, let's say, like CPR or like heart disease or those approaches are, are addressed, right? If someone's walking around downtown in the average large city and they collapse, um, chances are someone's going to know CPR and run up to that person and provide some sort of life-saving support until professionals can get there. And similarly, attending a suicide prevention training, if you notice someone or have a friend who's down and experiencing depression and thinking about suicide, you can provide a little connection, ask some questions, and then get a professional there through calling the suicide prevention hotline or 911 or your local crisis center, and then get that person the help they need. So I think that's something that we all can do, and it's not that big of a burden to ask, and because we all really have a part to play in this. So that's what I would encourage folks to do. Awesome. Well, again, Scott, thank you so much for being on today and, uh, yeah, bringing us into such an important topic that we can all um, play our part in. Yeah, it, re it really was a treat, and uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was, it was great to connect with you all. Same, same. Thanks, Scott. Be well. Well, Mary, that was uh, just such a great interview with Scott. I I'm walking away with a few things. To be honest, I didn't ever think and make the connection that uh, Imagine Zero was possible when thinking about suicide. And and suicide is such a heavy topic. It feels like it's not achievable to reduce the number. Um, so for me, I honestly came into the episode being pretty hopeless about the situation. But after the interview and just with what Scott just shared, it, it I feel hope and it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's two things. One being that, holy crap, if there's a way for us to, like, interfere with the how when it comes to people's suicidal ideations, then that can lessen the chance of someone following through so dramatically. That was a a shock factor moment for me that I didn't realize. And then just like you, suddenly I was like, oh, wow, that's tangible. That's doable. There's something that like something that feels so out of control. We could potentially control something to do with that and prevent lives lost to suicide. I was 
very struck by that. And also, I love that he didn't take this really extreme view on, so if guns are so incredibly involved in suicide, that it's not about just eliminating them. I, he's such a third place ambassador <laughs> right. by um, by talking that it's not, you know, he, he said something like, you know, when we get to a place where we make it legal or illegal, when we go the this or that route, especially when it comes to guns, that that's just not productive. And suddenly we're in caught in the politicized conversation rather than the human based conversation. So that was another thing that I just love that he, I, he felt like such a, an ambassador of the third place in the way that he operates in this world and that we could probably find a solution and things that we agree on in a common way that are outside of taking this dualistic perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a lot of the hope too, I think is like there, there's lots of things that we can't do. Here's a big problem. And there's tons of big problems that we can't do anything about, but it, because he entered into this and space, this, this messy middle it's like, well, here's all the things that we can't do. And then there was an acknowledgement of that, but there was like, but we can do this and we can do this. And then it got my mind going. It was like, oh yeah. And then what else can we do? And so then let's do those things and let's, let's begin the work. Uh, you know, and I, I say this often just in, in, our business and and kind of our approach to like social impact that we're trying to have in in the coffee space the first step of a thousand mile journey is the hardest one to take so it keeps us from taking this first step but it's just so important and and that's honestly what i think has given me a lot of hope after hearing him yeah and my wish is that in listening to this episode that you walk away if you do have someone that comes to mind or multiple people that come to mind that you can go to them and be really direct. And that's sort of the essence of awkward and uncomfortable conversations is being able to first recognize something that needs to be said. And instead of not saying it, like try on for size asking if someone's having suicidal thoughts, you know, are you or have you considered killing yourself? And I think that if just for that, if someone came to your mind during this episode, please ask them and know that there are resources out there, too, that that Scott talked about. You know what's really cool, David? What's that? Just to sort of wrap, I get to be a part of the teen self-care fair um, that Scott and the work that he does puts on in Colorado in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, I, you tell me about the fair. I didn't realize that was, uh, Scott was a part of that. Yeah. So he's a part of it. It's this really cool, um, annual thing where teens come together for an entire event around self care. And I get to do a session on tea, uh, sharing tea and conversations. And one of my friends is doing a session on like inversions and yoga, a quick way for you to actually sort of pivot panic in your body without needing anything but like doing a quick handstand or a child's pose or something like that. Wow. That, well, that's beautiful. Talk about like a prevention too with suicide to be able to teach teens what self-care looks like. I feel like I'm just now learning that. And I'm, <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, right? So Fake it till you make it. <laughs> so, um, well, cool. We, we definitely should have a topic about investing in teens 
And I know that obviously that's part of your other work too. So it's just cool to have the worlds come together. And this was such an amazing opportunity. Yep. So definitely pass this on. Um, you know, honestly, word of mouth is the best way to grow a podcast. We know that we have so many amazing interviews coming. So please share this and others that you've enjoyed with folks uh, and, you know, help us spread the word. We're going to just keep pushing into the third place and, and learning from all these amazing people. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. Be well. Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify. Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host Happy Hours on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast. <laughs>